Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 12th of January, 2020. This evening we are joined by Dr. Andrew Collins, who takes his reading from Psalm 42 and brings us a message entitled, Coping in Crisis, Part 1, The Bible on Depression. Evening. And thank you very much for the, uh, for the welcome. It is really lovely to be with you here uh, this evening. Pastor Morrison mentioned about how far we go back. We were remembering that um, I was just a little bit younger than Caleb when he baptized me uh, in uh, Thomas Street Baptist Church in, in Portadown. So we do go back a long way, and it probably ages both of us, uh, can I say. But it's a real uh, pleasure to be with you here. Uh, in Comber. And I was, uh, I was thinking as we were, we were singing um, the, the, the first chorus, Because He Lives I Can Face Tomorrow, that, uh, and we sang that second verse, uh, that there will be a day when we will see him face to face, and there will be a day when depression will no longer be a problem. And when these crises that we do need to think about and face in this life When they will have gone, and they will have gone permanently, they will have gone forever. Uh, But until that time, we we need to be thinking about them as Christians, don't we? We need to be trying to understand what God says to us in his word about these things. And maybe you'll join with me just to read together in Psalm 42. Um, As we saw from Psalm 121, the Psalms are so rich, aren't they, with just uh, reaching into our experience and... Again, Psalm 42, in the same way, reaches into our experience and helps us to think about this subject of depression. We'll just read the first few verses of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Imagine that after the service this evening, uh, a member of the congregation, we'll call him John, and I'm sure there's a John somewhere in the congregation. It's not anyone that you know. Uh, it's just a, a made-up name. So John approaches you and asks you to have a word. You maybe slip into one of the, the rooms behind here uh, and sit down. How can I help you, John? Uh, you ask. John says nothing, uh, but buries his face in his hands. You're stuck for something to say, uh, but then you wisely just decide to give this brother some time. Finally, John looks up. I'm feeling dreadful, he says. I can't sleep. I'm falling out with everyone. Then he looks at you with eyes brimming and says, I think 
I'm losing my faith. Now, what might be going on with John? And how are you going to help him? Well, feeling fed up and uh, unhappy and down and disappointed can all be normal reactions in everyday life, maybe particularly uh, in January. Uh, a problem, a difficulty comes along. You, you feel down for a, for a bit, uh, but you get through it, and that seems to, to lift again and to pass. But sometimes it, it doesn't pass. And sometimes it maybe just arises out of the blue with nothing seemingly to cause it. Sometimes it it persists and it, it stays and it begins to creep over your life. And it's then that we begin to consider depression. And this evening we want to look at, at what depression is. We want to think a little bit about what causes depression And then we want to also think about how we can help depression, particularly uh, looking at God's word and also thinking of some other practical ways that we can deal with this problem, which is so common uh, to many of us. Well, how big a problem is depression? Um, According to the World Health Organization, it's one of the leading causes of disability throughout our world. Isn't that a, a stunning fact? That throughout our whole world, ranging across every culture, depression is a leading cause of disability, a a central problem in our world today. The number of adults at any given point in time with anxiety and depression is around 10%, 1 in 10 of us. If we're thinking about just depression, it's probably about 1 in 20 But if we ask the question, well, how many people will at some point in their lives struggle with depression, then the problem uh, rises to about one in seven people. Now, Now think about those numbers for a moment that I've given you, about one in seven people suffering from depression at some point in their lives. And think of those numbers in relation to Uh, this church in relation to your family circle, in relation to the group of people you know or people in your workplace. And you'll see just how common a problem this is. And certainly in Christian counseling, where I spend half of my my week, uh, it's by far and away the most common uh, issue that people come with. Uh, Women are about twice as likely as men to suffer from depression. And usually at this point, I observe that um, it's probably because of the men that the women are more likely to struggle with depression. You'll, you'll be agreeing with that. Um, it's hard to know exactly why that is. It's maybe because um, the, the research would look at things like propensity to stress. There are bound to be some biological things there because obviously women are also likely to have postnatal depression, baby blues, uh, and so forth. The average age of a first episode of depression is in the mid-twenties. So this is something that really has, while it can start younger, it has a major point of onset in early adulthood. So this is a big problem. This is something that we have got to think about as churches and as Christians. But what is it? 
We talk about this thing called depression. We maybe have a vague idea what we mean. What is this problem called depression? Well, we could describe it in a number of ways. We could think of it as a darkness or an emptiness. People describe it sometimes as a numbness or agitation or misery. But as I said um, at the outset, there's a difference, isn't there, between this thing called depression and then just normal everyday unhappiness that we can all struggle with. How do we know the difference? Well, it's depression when we have certain symptoms. A GP or a doctor or psychiatrist will look for certain symptoms. And if you have enough of these symptoms together and they're strong enough and they've been there for long enough, usually a couple of weeks or more, and they haven't lifted, then you'll have what at least a doctor will call depression. But what are those uh, symptoms? Well, depression affects us, if you like, as a whole. It affects us both inwardly and outwardly. Outwardly, it affects our bodies and our behaviours. Inwardly, it affects how we think and feel. And we'll take a moment just to look at some of those ways that depression affects us. And sorry for these lists. We'll try and get through them quite, quite quickly. But it helps us understand just what we're, we're thinking about. Depression affects our bodies. It affects us physically. Our sleep gets disturbed. Sometimes that's you, you're going to bed at night and you're tossing and turning. You can't get over to sleep. For other people, it's they waken too early in the morning. They're just bolt awake, four o'clock, everything churning over in their minds. But sometimes it can swing the other way and there's too much sleep with some people's depression. Depression also affects your appetite. Most commonly, people go off their food. They pick over it. It can get to the point where they lose weight, and that's significant. But again, the pendulum can swing the other way, and we can have an increased appetite, the kind of comfort eating uh, that to some degree we all can identify with. Depression also affects our energy. Uh, there's a loss of energy, but it's not just your everyday tiredness. It's a real washed-out uh, lack of energy, absolutely drained a kind of fatigue. Sometimes in depression, people will think that their memory is going. Uh, they can't remember things. And it's not so much that the memory is going, it's actually that the person's concentration is poor. They're not remembering things. They're not remembering them because they can't take them in. Their attention has gone down. And then depression can affect us in other physical ways. Uh, people can get headaches. Uh, can slow up our, our thinking, slow up even our movements, constipation, reduced sex drive. Those are some of the ways that depression can affect our bodies. But outwardly, depression also affects how we behave. What will you see in the person who is struggling with depression? Well, often they just stop doing things. Their usual activities, especially the things that they normally enjoy, uh, are given up. People can become withdrawn. Uh, they don't want to, to see people. There's maybe a loss of confidence about facing social situations. So people stop going out and doing things, meeting people, even coming to church. It can get to the point where someone with depression, they lose all interest in themselves. They begin to neglect themselves. They're not so cared about how they look, what they wear, about even sometimes looking after their, their personal care or their hygiene. 
And it can get to the point where those feelings of depression are just so low and and so difficult inside that the person can find all kinds of even destructive ways of trying to relieve it. And that's where self-harming comes in. Sometimes it's a, it's a form of relief, a, a way of, of coping, especially we see that in younger people today. Sometimes it can actually be a way of responding to some of the, the negative ways of thinking, which we'll see um, in a moment. Self-harming, and of course, that's a, a concerning symptom that we need to pick up on and watch out for. So remember, we're asking this question, what is depression? It affects our bodies, it affects our behavior, but it also affects us inwardly. And I think these are are some of the harder ways that depression then impacts us. Um, If you have broken a leg, you'll see that uh, you'll have a cast on. You'll see that there's something wrong, or others will see that. But with depression, a lot of that brokenness is on the inside. People don't see it. Uh, There are emotional symptoms. Depression affects our thinking. The mood can become low, becomes dark. There's a heavy sadness there. There can be an anxiety. Now, anxiety can be a problem in and of itself, but sometimes it comes with depression. As the psalmist described there, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? That inner disquiet, that word in the psalm actually means a a sea that's been whipped up within by the storm. Um, That inner uh, turbulence, if you like, it's a good description of what we call anxiety today. Irritability, the person with depression can have a shorter fuse than usual. Um, Anger is a common experience in depression, though it's not always on, on the surface. Commonly, there can be a loss of enjoyment with depression. We feel low. There's no pleasure in anything, even those things that would normally give us some degree of interest. We just lose all interest in them. And sometimes there are just no feelings. Everything goes flat. We can't either feel good about the things we're meant to enjoy, nor can we feel bad about the things that we're meant to feel bad about. There's just a flatness, no feeling, no spark, and that's what we call apathy. So depression can affect us emotionally, affects our feelings. And in fact, it can be a helpful way to think of depression, that it is an illness of the feelings. And then you can imagine that if you're feeling that way, that begins to color how you think about things, how you see things. And one of the common ways that depression affects us is with this idea of preoccupation. The depressed person, they're often there in the corner, quiet, and they just seem to be lost in their world. They're brooding, they're going over things, they're turning over all kinds of negative aspects of their life. And these are some of the things that they can focus upon. That thinking can focus upon themselves. They look at themselves, they think, I'm worthless, I'm useless. I'm no good. They look at their lives and it seems to lack purpose. What's the point in going on? Motivation gets hit. We look at the world around us and depression colors how we see everything. We can see people and events as against us. Things are going against me. People are against me. And I can become oversensitive to people and to situations. I can easily take offense in depression. 
Depression colors also how I see them, the past. And one of the ways that that comes out is in a, a feeling of, of guilt. Um, and often what happens is that with depression, we get a feeling of guilt. And, and we then go trying to hunt for why we're feeling like that. We go on this kind of guilt hunt and we go scarring over our lives, trying to understand why we feel that way. And often the depressed person, they pick up on some small thing that happened years ago that no one else has ever remembered, but they think, aha, I never put that right. I never said sorry to that person. They still feel guilty about that. And they think, that's the reason I'm depressed. And they think they have to go back and dig something up that everybody else has forgotten about or never took notice of in the first place. And what's happening there is that the feeling of guilt is making us pick up on on those small things and become preoccupied with them, raking over all of the wrong we have done. Depression then also colors how we see the future. Um, we, We look forward and everything looks bleak and we can't see a way forward and the person can begin to feel hopeless. And it's important, again, that we pick up on that because that can be an important indicator of of someone not seeing a way forward and perhaps then wanting to end it all and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a moment so remember what we're, we're doing here we're trying to ask this question what is this thing called depression it affects our bodies it affects our behaviors it affects how we feel and it colors how we think and for a christian Depression will also affect us spiritually. There can be spiritual effects. Our sense of fellowship with God is affected. We, we try to pray. The heavens seem like brass. Our prayers are going no further than, than the ceiling. We begin to want to uh, withdraw from the fellowship of God's people. Uh, we, can, we can know the gospel And yet that guilt that I mentioned, it doesn't seem to go away. I I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for my sin, but why am I still feeling this awful guilt? Depression can affect our sense of joy and and peace. I don't seem to be experiencing the joy of my salvation. I I can't feel that, that peace that seems to be part of knowing Christ. We can have difficulty praying. Remember, the concentration is gone. It's hard to get motivated for things. Praying is hard. Reading the Bible is difficult because I don't seem to be taking anything in and I'm not motivated to do it. Going to worship is hard. And when you think about it, if you add all of these things together, what's going to happen? A person is going to look at all of that and say, am I really a Christian? And so doubts begin to to come in to the Christian's experience when they're suffering from depression. So we're asking this question, what is depression? And we can see that it also affects Christians. Christians are not immune from depression. And uh, even Psalm 42, I hope, has begun to um, lead us in that direction. Now, an episode of depression doesn't have to have all of these features together. You don't have to be struggling with all of these things. Uh, to be suffering from what we call depression. It's just a number of these features over a number of weeks together which don't seem to be lifting and are beginning to interfere with life. And let me pause for a moment um, and and just uh, make mention uh, for some of you that may be 
helping another person with depression. Because some of you will be here tonight, some, some of you will be here because uh, you've known someone with depression or you're even walking with someone who is struggling with depression. And I think what we can learn as we, as we think about what depression is, that it's good for us to ask good questions, not to be afraid to ask how this depression is affecting this person. Get to know their story. Um, what symptoms do they have? How is it affecting them? Uh, when did it start? How did it start? Try and understand the person because it's as you begin to understand the person that you'll be able to walk well with them and to minister into their lives uh, and to help to bear that burden with them. The other thing I should say is that depression, those symptoms that I mentioned, they don't all just land in on the person in one go. Um, it's often that they begin to just build up one upon the other. Let me come back to, to John, our fictional friend at the beginning. Let's say that as John, as you begin to try and understand John's trouble at the moment and you ask him a few questions, he begins to share with you that his job is under threat. And as his job has been under threat, his sleep has become poor as he's been thinking about the future. As the sleep has become poor, he's got increasingly exhausted. And like the rest of us, when you get exhausted, small problems suddenly become big problems. And he finds himself then, because he's so tired, he finds himself snappy in his relationships. He feels guilty that at home he's like a Jekyll and Hyde character. And the prospect of losing his role as a breadwinner is really beginning to get to him. And he's beginning to feel worthless at the thought of losing that role. And you can see one thing leading into the next. And as he begins to go down this spiral, this black cloud of gloom descends and begins to color John's thinking. Reinforcing all of these thoughts that he's worthless and that there's no purpose to his life. That spiraling downward of depression uh, and despair. Now that all sounds very negative, but actually there's, it's, it's a helpful idea to remember because in the same way that, that each one of those little aspects of depression begins to knock into the next on that way down the spiral, likewise beginning to help in just one of those areas can begin to turn that around. Sometimes just aiming at one or two things and trying to help there can begin to help the person back up out of that spiral again. So we're asking the question, what is this thing called depression? Let's briefly think about what causes depression. Uh, how does this depression happen? Why does it come on? And this is where we begin to look at what are called risk factors. These are factors in a person's life that might make them more likely than someone else to get depression. And of course, we live in this fallen world, a fallen world where bad things happen, where there are what the mental health world calls life events. Um, scripture, I think, is a much better word for these. We, we, we call them from the Bible trials, times of testing, pressures, afflictions, temptations. Um, and that's what we mean when we say life events. Things like losses, especially, uh, can be relevant to depression. Bereavement, the loss of a job like John, 
a divorce, a marital separation, even things like your children leaving home. There's a sense in which that's a loss, and sometimes that can be an occasion for depression, illness, and any other unexpected change in your, in your life. You can see that those events all cause, cause stress. Sometimes it's, it's not necessarily one major event that's happened. It can even be a kindling together of a, a number of smaller events uh, that gives rise to depression. And the interesting thing is, is that someone appears to be more at risk from depression if they perceive that the negative event has been somehow down to them. In other words, they've contributed to it. They've had some part in it. They've caused it in some way. It's because of me. Uh, that can increase the risk of depression as a response to that um, event. The other thing just to mention there is that the depression doesn't have to start immediately with the event. Sometimes there can be a gap. You know, a hard event happens, there's a gap, and then the depression uh, begins after that. Very quickly, relationships, of course, conflict in relationships, social environment, things like unemployment uh, or uh, marital status like uh, divorce can give rise to depression, and early experiences. Uh, abusive experiences, for example, or growing up in a home where there has been a lot of discord or a, a lack of parental care, coldness, distance, and so forth, uh, that can sometimes, those early experiences can predispose to someone having depression uh, later on. So things happen. We live in this fallen world that we're needing delivered from. But I also live in a fallen body, and that can be part of why I get depression. People often ask, does depression run in families? And the answer is that yes, it can do. Um, the, the child of a parent who has had depression, that child is about three times more likely than the general population to struggle with depression. Now, that doesn't mean that the child is, is definitely going to get depressed. It just means that there's a greater Vulnerability about three times more. So there's some kind of genetic element to that. Personalities, um, people with a pessimistic outlook, uh, you know, people that tell for whom the, the glass is always half empty, uh, things always look bleak and negative. I sometimes talk about the kind of Eeyore personality. Um, now, we all know people like that. Uh, now, don't turn around and look at them, but you all know who they are. Um, so people with that more kind of uh, depressive kind of personality might be more um, at risk. We've mentioned gender illnesses. There are some uh, medical illnesses, thyroid problems, anemia, low blood count, diabetes, infections. Um, after a stroke or a heart attack, those are times when, again, we can be more likely to, um, to get depressed. And medication, actually, sometimes it can be a side effect of medication that you're taking. And then if you've noticed the onset of the depression after starting a medi medication, it's wor worthwhile going to your GP about that. So we live in a fallen world and we live in fallen bodies. And sometimes then we, we, we don't quite know what it is. Um, if you've had a previous history of depression, well, you're more vulnerable in the future and sometimes it's, a, it's an, what we call an endogenous depression. It just arises out of the blue. That's what that word means. It arises from within. Um, and we don't quite know what causes it. 
People often ask, is it a chemical imbalance? Well, there's no scan or blood test uh, that can demonstrate uh, whether we're suffering from depression. Um, Medication certainly seems to help. The medication that replenishes your serotonin. Um, But again, we don't know actually whether the serotonin problem is a cause of the depression or an effect of the depression feeding back into the brain. But there seems to be some role of the brain in there. Does sin cause depression? It's a very important question. Scripture seems to teach us that unconfessed sin can feel like depression. Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. The psalmist experienced there groaning and that lack of energy because of unconfessed sin seems to sound a bit like depression. But it's a different question to ask, is depression sinful? And it seems to be that in many places in Scripture, believers can be depressed without sin as a cause. I began to read from Psalm 42, and I think that psalm is an example of that. If you read through that psalm and look at it carefully, you can't really see anywhere where the psalmist uh, seems to have have diverted into sin. It just doesn't seem to be a cause of the psalmist being cast down and in turmoil. And in fact, he's he's asking his own soul, why are you cast down within me? Psalm 88, where darkness is the psalmist's closest friend. Again, there doesn't seem to be indication there that it's sin that has caused it. And indeed, at least the psalmist is, is turning his complaint towards the Lord. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Seems to be that that psalm is expecting that that will be the experience of a believer in this fallen world. You will be walking through a valley of the shadow of death. For me, though, the the clincher here, the convincing example of feeling bad but without sin is our Lord himself. In Matthew 26, we read, don't we, that in the garden... As he prayed, he was exceedingly sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but apparently of of three Greek words that can be used for depression, the words that are translated there as exceedingly sorrowful are the strongest words that could be used. That, That there is a strength and a depth to the Savior's sorrow there. And yet he was without sin. It seems to me then that we must as believers see depression not as sinful, but we see depression as suffering. Suffering in the life of a believer, yes, yes, which can be an occasion for sin, but depression is primarily suffering. And so again, as you're seeking to walk with someone and to help another person with depression, what can we learn from having thought a little bit about the causes? Well, ask about what's happened in the person's life. We ask about circumstances, past and present. Get to know the detail of the person's story well. Look out for those things that are hard. And all of this then leads us on to think about what's happening spiritually. You'll have picked up as we were thinking there about 
some of the ways of thinking in depression, uh, some of those thought patterns and some of the ways that depression affects our emotions, that spiritually you can see these, these patterns of, of, of fear throughout depression and, and that anger that was arising and the irritability and, and those, those thoughts which were colored with guilt and shame and worthlessness and even that, that uh, disappointment and hopelessness that was coming in and the, the purposelessness and all of those things are, are really spiritual questions. Where am I going with my fears? Where do I go with, with those feelings of anger and judgment? Where do I turn to in guilt and, and shame and when I'm struggling with, with, with how I see myself? Where do I go to in, in disappointment and when life doesn't seem to hold purpose? Where do I go to? Where, where do I find in all of this a refuge? And I think that idea at the bottom there of refuge is probably the most important. Where in the midst of this pain and in this sorrow... Where will I go for, for comfort? Where will I go for help? Where will I find safety and relief? Where will I find that refuge? Will the Lord be my refuge, my help, my comfort, my security? And I want to think with you just for a few moments about what that looks like. What will faith in the refuge look like? How can I respond in faith to this great problem that we've described this evening. Just before we get on to that, if I can quickly say that the, the course of recovery is a very up and down kind of graph. It's a bumpy road to recovery. And the overall important thing is the trend. You'll get good days and bad days as you're getting over a period of depression. But whenever you hit a bad day, don't think you're back at square one. It's the trend that is important. So how will we find a refuge then in this darkness? The first thing to say is that God is still there, even when he may not be felt, even when it may seem that he is invisible. And we must turn to him, therefore, by faith, by real faith. And it's one of those things that I think depression really calls for, is that real raw faith. Because in depression, we're called to do one of the hardest things that we can be called to do as a Christian, something that we all struggle with. In depression, we are called to believe things about God, to believe things about the gospel, and to live as if those things are true. In other words, we're called to have faith even when we do not feel like those things are true, even when it doesn't seem in our experience as if those things are true, we're called to believe them and to live by them. And that's okay as a Christian because faith is much more than a feeling. What does the writer to the Hebrews say at the beginning of chapter 11? He says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. I could maybe expand that slightly and say that faith is the conviction, the substance of things not perceived or even things not felt. In depression, we're called to have a conviction about things that we're not going to feel because as we've seen, the feelings are sick. The feelings are not well. 
And don't underestimate how hard that is for Christians that are struggling with depression. And I have, week in and week out, the, uh, the amazing privilege of sitting with people who you will never, ever know this side of heaven, and their faith is absolutely heroic. It is heroic, because there they are, holding on to the Lord and to his word, even though when everything inside them is going against it. Well, how can we, how can we begin to find this refuge by faith? And what we just want to look at in the last few minutes is, are some examples of how we can find that kind of refuge by faith. We want to find a refuge from those depressed thoughts. Remember, depression says there's no point. But, but of course, in Christ, there is a point. Jesus Christ came and suffered and died and rose and was glorified. And in all of that, he brings a purpose in our suffering, a purpose to our suffering. What does Peter write in, in his first letter, chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 6? He says to his readers, in this you rejoice, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There it is, grieved, made depressed by various trials and hard situations, so that, there's a purpose to it, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This trial that you're going through, it's testing your faith. It's making it more real. And one day it's going to be found to glorify Christ when he comes. James chapter 1, Romans chapter 5. There are many of those passages in Scripture that talk about what suffering is doing. Suffering is producing endurance. It's producing resilience. There is a purpose. There's also real hope in Christ. Remember, depression says there's no hope. There's no way forward. And yet again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter has just been talking about hope. He's been talking about the inheritance that is that is undefiled and incorruptible and is before them, that they're moving towards. With Christ, Peter says, there is hope. Suffering isn't the end. And he goes on to say this amazing thing as we read there in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now you are grieved. What does Peter mean there? He means that you're rejoicing in the hope of that inheritance, even though at the same time you're grieved. You're, you're rejoicing and you're grieved, and they're both somehow there together. You're grieved with this depression, but you're rejoicing in your hope, and somehow they coexist. Isn't that so honest of Peter to write it that way? Uh, can't we sometimes say, I feel terrible but I'm glad I'm a Christian. The hopelessness. Again, we do the same thing with our worthlessness. Depression may say, I'm useless. But we go back to our identity in Christ. And Peter reminds us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's telling us there about our identity in Christ. Do you see how by faith, we find a refuge from those depressed ways of thinking. And we do the same with our depressed 
feelings. We face fear with trust. Fear, it's the do not be afraid. It's the most common commandment in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? It says a lot about us that the, the thing the Lord has to most frequently command us in Scripture is not to be afraid. And yet, when he does that, he always joins it with a promise, doesn't he? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isaiah 41, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. Do you see what, what he's doing there, don't be afraid. And then he gives us a promise for faith to hold on to in the midst of that. Again, by faith, we find that refuge from our depressed feelings. It's the same with our anger, the same with our guilt. We remember as, as believers that we have been justified freely by grace, acquitted. You're declared not guilty. And we know that in the gospel. And we keep going back to that in the midst of of those guilty thoughts and feelings. And we keep pursuing the joy and peace that we have in the gospel. Philippians 4 says to us to rejoice in the Lord always. It's interesting that he doesn't just give us a bald command to rejoice, but it's a rejoicing in the Lord. Again, something for faith to hold on to. God is Lord in the midst of this dreadful darkness that I'm going through. And it's that that we joy in, even though we're grieved by our various trials. I just quickly want to say that it's not that by doing this that we automatically feel better. Never think that. Um, what we are doing as we respond in faith in these things is that we are putting ourselves in the way of beginning to have those feelings restored again, those, those emotions restored and reshaped. And we're responding by faith to this suffering that we are going through. And yet, even in the midst, as Peter has told us, of our grieving, there can be a joy that runs even deeper than just feeling good. That faith leads to action. Um, that faith in God and his word leads to action. And just some very practical things to finish with there. Uh, we want to have faith in the Lord as our refuge. And yet, as we do that, we make use of his means of refuge. God has given us many means in this world to help us. They are still ultimately from him, but we must make good use of them. Things like rest and that broader sense. Going to the doctor because we are embodied and depression affects us physically. We perhaps will need medication. Again, because we live in fallen bodies and we've seen that our brains and our serotonin can be involved. And the importance also of safety. Um, making sure that if someone is beginning to voice those hopeless thoughts, that we are, that we are getting that help, we're getting the assessment, we're bringing them to, to someone who has some more experience, whether it's a, a pastoral worker, whether it's someone in the church, whether it's the GP, someone who's able to make that assessment um, of risk and to check for any suicidal 
thinking. So we're making use of God's means of refuge. I'm just going to skip through that. Um, And that will all lead to living with purpose. Because that faith in God and his word in the midst of depression, it begins to live itself out. And this can be an important aspect also of getting better with depression. We need structure in our lives. If there is purpose in the gospel, purpose for us as Christians, we want to live with that kind of purpose, with structure to the day, because depression can just begin to interfere with how we're living and affect our motivation, and the day becomes very unstructured. And We want to get involved again in step-by-step activities with that perseverance that is a fruit of the Spirit and that comes from our faith. Finally, again, you may be walking with someone who has depression. Um, We've mentioned some specific things, help from the doctor and the importance of being assessed if there are safety concerns. What can I say to you as a congregation or if you're individually walking with someone with depression? Keep moving towards the person. People with depression can push you away. Keep moving towards them. Keep trying to understand. Keep trying to listen to the darkness. Have compassion. Be moved by the person. Get to know them so well that you're moved by what they're going through. And be moved enough to pray. Prayer, prayer it's, a, it's a simple but ministry, but in a sense it captures all ministry, I would say. Because as you pray, you are praying for that person and bringing that person to the living God and his word and all of those promises that we've been talking about. And in prayer, you're connecting the two. A simple thing which can be so wonderful. Um, Encouraging faith with the truths of the gospel, leading the person on to the, the doing of those things step by step and also keep pursuing the person even when sometimes they don't want help keep trying to understand even understanding why they might be pushing you away um, and overcome that in a sense with love and whatever you do especially with the depressed do it with gentleness remember how our Lord dealt with bruised reeds what Matthew says of him as he quotes Isaiah a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. It's a beautiful picture of how our Savior cared for souls. I've given you lots of scripture there this evening, but it's not that we rush in and land all of that scripture into someone's life, especially when they're already struggling. We come in with that kind of care and gentleness. The bruised reed, it was about to be broken, and somehow our Savior dealt with people that they were strengthened and healed again. The smoldering wicked can feel like that with depression. You feel that you're emotionally exhausted. Your your, your life is about to go out like that smoldering wick. And Jesus comes along and he begins to carefully so deal with that, that flame that he begins to eventually flame it up again. We want to have that same same kind of gentleness and care as our Saviour did. Why don't we pray to him now as we, as we finish. Father, we thank you for our 
Savior. We thank you for his example of love and care. We thank you for how he would speak the right words of wisdom and truth into our lives. We thank you that he did not break the bruised reed and that the the smoldering wick was not extinguished in his loving, gentle care. Lord, help us to have that same care for one another. And Father, we pray for any in our midst or any known to us that are struggling with the kind of darkness and sorrow and heaviness uh, that we've been describing and thinking about this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, love and care to minister to them. We pray, Lord, above all, that they will know the gentleness, the care, the love, the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ to minister to their souls. In his name we pray. Amen.